over the past seven or eight years, the healthcare industry has really undergone major shifts that have fueled unprecedented levels of innovation and thus enthusiasm from both healthcare entrepreneurs and innovators. Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. Since 2014, we've been bringing you conversations with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. Topics we cover include technology, culture, leadership, and more. Coming to you from the Three Pillar Global Studio in Fairfax, Virginia, I'm your host, Will Sherlin. On this episode, we'll be looking at innovation in the healthcare space. Among the topics we'll discuss are why innovation and healthcare do indeed belong in the same sentence, which technology trends are paving the way for the next big leaps for the healthcare industry as a whole, and how startups in the healthcare space can and should position themselves for success when approaching venture capitalists for funding or partnerships. Here with us today to talk about all that and more are Arim Murtal and Anahita Nagjiri of McKesson Ventures, a Silicon Valley-based venture fund that helps innovators build and scale businesses that will lead to a stronger, more sustainable future for healthcare. Arim Murtal is a director at McKesson Ventures, where she invests in early to growth stage companies across healthcare technology and services. Her background includes time spent as Director of Client Services and Partnerships at Bird Health and on the investment team at Andreessen Horowitz. Anahita Nakjiri is a Strategy and Portfolio Development Associate at McKesson Ventures who is focused on identifying and commercializing opportunities between McKesson Ventures portfolio companies and the larger McKesson ecosystem. Welcome to the podcast, Aram and Anahita. Thank Thank you for having us. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you here today. So let me start off the episode by addressing the elephant in the room. When many people hear the word healthcare, innovation isn't necessarily the first thing that comes to mind. The two of you, however, have a unique vantage point at a venture fund that's investing in healthcare startups. So I have to ask you, is innovation truly alive and well when it comes to healthcare? Well, you know, to answer that question, it, you know, requires a little bit of a historical perspective. So if we look over the past seven or eight years, the healthcare industry has really undergone major shifts that have fueled unprecedented levels of innovation and thus enthusiasm from both healthcare entrepreneurs and innovators. So first of these four major drivers, because I think it's, it's worth going through the four of them, the first being the Health Information Technology for Economic and Clinical Health Act, or the High Tech Act, as people know it, um, which was enacted in 2009 really to promote the adoption of meaningful use and health information technology. So the billions of dollars investments have driven you know, a nationwide network of electronic health records and ultimately the digitization of the industry's data backbone opening the door for analytics and workflow optimization solutions to really be layered on top. The second driver was the ACA, um, the Patient Production Affordable Care Act signed into law by Obama in 2010. And this steady march from a fee-for-service to a fee-for-value-based payment systems. So now, you know, providers and health systems are being told, you will get paid to keep people healthy rather than make diagnoses and deliver treatment. 
The third driver, and one that I'm sure a lot of the listeners will resonate with, is the increased financial skin in the game for consumers. Now more than ever, with the rise of high-deductible health plans and consequent out-of-pocket costs. And not just across the medical services landscape, but also across the prescription drug landscape. Consumers are expected uh, to be more accountable and engaged in decision-making. And, and this doesn't exclusively translate into people you know, needing to wear more Fitbits to track health data. But really what is meant is you know, what does it mean that consumers are valuing price transparency or wanting to be more meaningfully involved in their care decisions rather than being passive stakeholders? And the last driver um, has been the, you know, seemingly infinite list of inefficiencies and unmet needs in the U.S. healthcare system that can be tackled by entrepreneurs with many positioning technology and analytics as the answer. I think many would agree that you know, a big change in healthcare, which is uh, even more big changes in healthcare, which are inevitably going to happen, will ultimately be, be determined by big data plays. So given these four factors, um, you know, and going back to your original question, innovation is alive and well in healthcare, but it's critical to point out that activity is not translated into commercial success for a large majority of the entrepreneurs and venture companies. And I'm sure Wall Street uh, would agree with us on that. You know, while a lot of these healthcare innovation trends are definitely pervasive and sustainable, uh, most of these companies are realizing that they're facing way more roadblocks than anticipated. And often their, you know, hype shadows stretch much farther than their commercial traction. And this isn't just unique to healthcare. I think you can see this throughout the entire venture-backed ecosystem, but it is particularly true in the case of digital health, while many entrepreneurs and investors come from outside of healthcare. And it is becoming increasingly evident that to provide you know, a truly valuable solution to the market, one must intimately understand the complexities of healthcare if you're going to be successful in innovating around it. So we're seeing a lot of money being concentrated on companies that you know, are demonstrating tangible commercial traction uh, and compelling customer ROIs or return on investments and have evidence of uh, predictable sales cycles. And for listeners out there who may not be familiar with McKesson and McKesson Ventures, can you give a little bit of background on both and how McKesson Ventures fits into the larger corporate mission? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because we, we found that McKesson is actually one of the largest companies that people seem to know very little about. We actually have a network of over 15,000 pharmacies across the U.S., Canada, and Europe, and we're the largest pharma distributor touching one-third of prescriptions in the U.S. In addition to that, we actually also have the largest independent physician network of community-based oncologists called the U.S. Oncology Network, and we offer a variety of products spanning pres prescription drugs, medical supplies, technology, and network solutions for pharma manufacturers, retail pharmacies, and providers. You know, as for our venture fund, we started about three years ago, really with the intention to invest in adjacent and white space opportunities for McKesson across the healthcare landscape. So we look broadly at early through growth stage opportunities in healthcare technology, as well as healthcare services. So we target both companies that catalyze and benefit from the key changes that take place in the healthcare ecosystem that Anahita mentioned earlier. And 
in terms of our investments, we've made over 18 in the last three years across everything from telemedicine to pharma analytics to pharmacy benefit management, transparency, um, genomics, and even solutions really focused on improving the patient experience all throughout healthcare. Um, I'd say we're really differentiated from many other venture funds out there because we bring not only strong domain expertise within healthcare by leveraging McKesson's unique market vantage point to help our comp- companies navigate the healthcare landscape and really accelerate their growth. But we also have a dedicated portfolio development team, um, which is really focused on identifying those commercial synergies, both within McKesson and across the McKesson ecosystem, which, you know, Anahita can talk a little bit more about given her role on that team. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if, if we take it a step further and really describe how McKesson Ventures aligns with the overall corporate venture community in healthcare, it's important to note that you know, there are a variety of healthcare corporate venture groups, ranging from large biopharma players like Novartis and Johnson & Johnson to others who've emerged over the past five years, like payers and providers like Kaiser and Extension, who are actively investing in digital health. Um, and then you have major tech players like Google um, with active healthcare funds. And put this a little bit in perspective, in 2016 alone, healthcare corporate venture firms or CVCs um, invested about $4.8 billion across 180 deals. And this deal, deal volume is more than doubled since 2012 and, you know, encompasses 23% of all venture dollars in the U.S. So, you know, within that landscape, McKesson Ventures is most akin to the more strategic players in healthcare venture, as opposed to some of the more tactical players who primarily, you know, invest in their vendors or like pharma who may invest in a drug to fill their R&D pipeline. So we're more focused on long-term value enhancement um, and growth discovery than near-term business development. So we have an active interest really to spur innovation um, and generate strategic insights and inform the company's business units rather than putting, you know, a focus solely on immediate financial returns or solely aligning with current core business needs or what we say filling immediate gaps. Um, and, you know, get, lastly, given the types of investments that McKesson Ventures focuses on, which is healthcare IT and, and tech-enabled services, we can help portfolio companies really manage risk and have a close proximity to the end-user market, which we think is adding more value than, you know, maybe traditional, um, you know, biopharma and medical device investors who face a lot of binary outcomes and risks given their investment focus and, um, and risks that are outside the ability to influence. So McKesson was founded in 1833 and is number five on the Fortune 500. <laughs> How does a company of that size and history remain nimble and able to adapt to the changing business and technology landscape? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, you know, we have over nearly $200 billion in revenue, and we found that it's it's definitely a challenge for McKesson to continue to stay nimble and adapt to these changes that we're seeing in the market However, there is an understanding across the business units and the senior leadership team here that McKesson's business could get disrupted if we're not open to these new innovations and ideas. So from the threat of Amazon to new frontier technologies like drones delivering medications and supplies and new drug discovery and clinical trial improvements for our pharma customers, we recognize that if we don't partner or invest in the early stage ecosystem, our our future growth as a company will will be significantly tempered. And so 
While our ventures team is primarily focused on generating a financial return, part of our mandate is also to guide the long-term strategy of McKesson in order to, to adapt to these future changes in the landscape. And as a company, you know, we generally uh, attempt to try to build some of these solutions ourselves, but we, we quickly realized that we might not be the best suited to do this um, and often have less of the user experience insights to build uh, the most engaging products and solutions in this area. So we're very active partners and acquirers in the healthcare system, um, which really allows us to sustain our growth, both in the near term and the long term. And what are what are some of the benefits and challenges for startups as they work with large companies like McKesson, either from an investment or a partnership standpoint? So, you know, while there's many benefits and challenges to dealing with large large corporates like McKesson, a few that, that we'll highlight are, are really that by working with, with large companies, startups add a significant amount of credibility for their product and business model with investors and other potential customers. Large companies like McKesson can really help meaningfully accelerate commercialization and go to market for a company through distribution channel partnerships, sales teams, or even large contract sizes. And we found time and time again that really the hardest piece to crack in healthcare is this commercialization phase because sales cycles tend to be so long. Um, It's a bit like a chicken and the egg problem where many large companies don't want to work with startups until they've lined up at least one large company. Um, And so finding your way to landing that first big customer is challenging, but well worth it from the other doors that it can open with other customers. In terms of challenges, um, companies often need to start communicating with, with larger companies like ourselves much earlier on since, as I mentioned, the sales cycles tend to be longer than you'd expect, and it can take a while to get all of our key decision makers on board with a new solution. So when speaking to large companies, startups need to be very clear on their value proposition to these potential customers. So for example, McKesson is looking to partner with companies that can make a measurable difference in the business while not really costing us a significant amount of time and resources for integration or usage by our key stakeholders, so our pharmacists, our physicians, our nurses, and they don't complicate any current processes or workflows that we're we're using to day. Ideally, there's also a significant monetary impact for the customer who's using the solution uh, and and an incredible improvement. By that, I mean 10x or 50x uh, the existing process when when it comes to the efficiency or the user experience of using the product. And and in terms of advice for, for working with large companies like ourselves, I'd say that startups really need to have a good understanding of what they want from a strategic partner like McKesson. You know, it can be financing, it can be channel partnerships, potentially de-risking the business model in a specific area or even regulatory expertise. But it's important to come into these initial conversations with us having a clear ask for the one or two things that you would ideally like um, to see or, or receive from a company like McKesson. It's also uh, a good. It's also helpful to have a good understanding of, you know, the company's overall strategy and what senior level support of that strategy looks like across the organization. I will say though that we found that since these conversations can go on for months, 
uh, it's important for, for folks that work with us to realize the company's priorities can also shift over the course of the, uh, that time period. So it's, it's important to be flexible enough to adapt your pitch to the needs of the company at the time that you're speaking to them. And let me ask you, you mentioned in that answer, solutions are incredible improvements along the magnitude of, of 10x times what's available now. Are there any companies you can think of or, or, or examples that listeners may, you know, may, may be able to relate to uh, of companies you've seen where this is the case? Yeah, I mean, I think a great example of this was uh, a recent acquisition that that McKesson made um, called Cover My Meds, which was actually one of the largest uh, M&A exits in the digital health landscape this year. And what they were really innovating on, and, and Anahita can add to this, is really improving the prior authorization process for drugs in order to get approval by insurance companies. And historically, you know, that, that process has been dominated by faxes and papers getting sent back and forth between physicians and nurses and, and the insurance company. And Cover My Meds created really an electronic solution that integrated into the existing workflow to significantly speed up the, the time that it took to complete these prior authorization processes. Okay, nice. So let me let me stick on that general topic. You both get to work with and evaluate companies that are looking to revolutionize the healthcare space. What are some of the technology areas you're seeing with the most promise to upend the way healthcare has traditionally worked for both providers and consumers? You know, an area of promise, um, and I think one that's really exciting, is an emergence of a consumer marketplace or rather a virtual consumer marketplace you know, that includes not just one technology, but a nice aggregation of robust technologies, anywhere from health information lookup to online patient communities centered around um, a specific disease, health references, comparison shopping, you know, consumer steerage, online scheduling, online payment, uh, drug discounts, you know, e-commerce for prescriptions or over-the-counter products and supplies. But, you know, all of these different technologies delivered across a more seamless consumer experience. So you're seeing bits and pieces of this now, but I think an emergence of a marketplace uh, could really be a reality in the next five years. And so to build on that point, you know, technology-enabled services and enhanced data and analytics capabilities will, you know, absolutely play an important role in meeting the growing expectations of healthcare consumers. So as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, you know, consumers are taking on more financial burden with the rise of high deductible health plans and out-of-pocket costs. So, you know, consumers are motivated and they're demanding increased quality service and price transparency from all healthcare stakeholders. So those technologies, like I just mentioned, um, that can adapt to meet consumers' increased demand for convenience, cost-effectiveness, and transparency really will be the ones who succeed and, and will be the ones that can be identified as the winners. Yeah, and, and just to add on that, you know, and a couple other areas that we've been spending a lot of time on, um, you know, I touched on this earlier with Cover My Meds acquisition, but we're always looking for companies innovating around the pharma tech and, and services space. And so, you know, we hear about how drug prices are rising and biopharma and retail pharmacies also need to better address the consumer interest in this space. Um, 
and this is really driving consumer-centric initiatives like patient access to these these drugs, um, patient engagement in clinical research, and targeted therapies supported by real-world evidence are all areas that we've been spending a lot of time time on. And, and adjacent to that, we've also been looking at, at a lot of precision medicine platforms. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, we, um, we own the, the U.S. Oncology Network, and so we're always looking at companies that are innovating in and around oncology and precision medicine. As we've seen advances in, in genetic and molecular profiling, this has really fueled research, discovery, and investment in precision medicine. And so the opportunity to pursue more targeted and efficacious therapeutic paths determined by more sensitive and specific diagnostics and, and really prescribed by advanced analytics is attractive to a wide variety of investors and is really anticipated by providers, payers, and patients that are, that are wanting more of these personalized medicine. So we think money is going to continue to, to flow into precision medicine, um, but at least initially will probably be weighted more heavily toward the diagnostics and therapeutic space until adoption and education of, of these genetic tests is more widespread across consumers and, and physicians. And then we'll see you know, investments in, in more of the, the platforms that are emerging here as well. Yeah, and, and the last, but you know, certainly not least, a couple emerging areas um, we think are, are seniors and them really aging in place. So, home-based and virtual care, um, robust home monitoring, you know, caregiver support is huge. You often see caregivers not really being the one, the stakeholders that are targeted to experiment with monitoring technology and robust communication capabilities. Um, and I think we'll see this change as we realize, or the system and industry realizes more and more how central caregivers are to the care of in, the an increasingly aged U.S. population. Um, you know, another area, personal data access and control. So industry-wide ID management, assembly and accessing longitudinal patient record. You know, what are the privatization and security regulations around that, compliance tracking, um, and then cybersecurity, I think protecting provider and pharmacy data repositories as, as this idea of big data and data continues to flow in the system, security around that, fraud prevention, and supporting online portals and virtual care sites, I think will be a, a big emerging area as well. And you mentioned privacy and security legislation. It seems like you can't talk about healthcare these days without mentioning the <laughs> policy landscape. How much does what happens in Washington impact what happens in the Valley? So, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, we discussed some of the, the key policy shifts that have spurred technology innovation in healthcare. Following this past November's election, I think it's safe to say that most of the venture community in healthcare assumed the pace of venture investments, um, you know, some in Q4, 16, and in H1, 17, would experience a rational slowing due to uncertainty around the new administration's proposed policy reform that you know, as we all know, still very much uh, remains in limbo. But surprisingly, in the first half of 2017, at least in regards to venture-backed healthcare investing, we saw more funding and deal volume than in the past, just in this first half. Um, and Rock Health is, is a fantastic seed fund, and they have some great stats on that. You know, although there have been no IPOs in healthcare in 2017, so we're seeing more of an impact in the public market and slowing growth and revenue for a lot of health 
IT public companies. But what is impacted, and it's important to note that there are a lot of headwinds confronting provider and payer solutions um, as a result of, of what is happening in Washington that are overly dependent upon policy-oriented requirements and reimbursement. So for this reason, selling to providers and health systems has been difficult and has led to some delays as they decide whether they want to engage in new pilots or stay put with the technology they already have. Um, invested in, which are you know huge investments in EMRs and and other related technologies, upwards in the in the low billions. Okay, nice, Rim. You mentioned precision medicine in one of your answers. I watched a sixty minutes recently where cancer doctors were being aided by Watson in making cancer diagnoses. Is that what we're talking about when we talk about precision medicine? It, it absolutely is. We are actively looking at an, an opportunity that powers actually IBM Watson in the oncology space when it comes to aggregating data from patients and their outcomes and really segmenting various patient populations into specific types of cancers. And so when we talk about precision medicine, you know, it can be defined uh, a lot of different ways, but but that specific example that you brought up is uh, a broader platform that I would say uh, is emerging in, in precision medicine. Okay, and this last question is kind of a wild card, but I'm sure that you you all have more exposure to this type of thing being in the valley. You know, in the tech news, you read about things like Ray Kurzweil at Google talking about living forever. And, you know, I, I don't think that that's what you all are, are you know, trying to do at McKesson, but when you hear about yeah i mean it's it's a it's a great thought exercise i think there are a lot of companies that are looking to cure cancer or help us live longer like um google's calico uh but what we've also realized is that as um, medicines and therapies become much more personalized. A lot of these conditions that used to be, you know, more of a death sentence like cancer are actually becoming more chronic conditions that you can manage um, through various therapies and drugs. And so, you know, my hypothesis is that um, we're going to figure out how to deliver better, more efficient, more cost-effective care to really allow us to expand, you know, how long we live um, and and potentially all that money flowing into curing some of these conditions and, and having us um, live longer may actually be, you know, options that if they end up working out, um, great. But I think, you know, we're also taking a very realistic and practical perspective on what we can do in the near term to help improve uh, quality of life during that process mm -hmm. as well. And I also think it's important to note, I mean, we, this is an ecosystem um, where there's an incredible amount of drug research, discovery, development, and testing. And I think that um, the ways that we can find some of these really valuable drugs that aren't able to get FDA approval and spend a long time in the pipeline. And, and these are drugs that could really cure critical diseases, even for a small subset of patients or a large subset of patients. The faster that we can expedite that process and get drugs that um, can be incredibly impactful, the quicker we can get them to the market, um, the more people that they'll be able to impact. And I think we're going to see a positive correlation um, with increased outcomes and, and longer, longer increased outcomes um, for people that can live longer. 
Okay, very nice. And if uh, if listeners out there are interested in finding out more about McKesson Ventures, they should go to uh, the website, I imagine? Yep, website, Twitter, LinkedIn. We're, we're active across those, those platforms as well. Okay, very nice. And we'll make sure to put uh, to put links to your LinkedIn profiles in the show notes in case anyone who, who listens would like to reach out, out to you to learn more. Uh, Irem and Anahita, thanks so much for joining us today to talk about innovation in the healthcare space. Sounds like it's alive and well indeed. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, Will. The Innovation Engine podcast is brought to you by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. Head to www.3pillarglobal.com to learn more about our services. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and Google Play to ensure that you never miss a new episode. And head to 3pillarglobal.com slash podcast to receive new updates about our show and read the full show notes and transcript of each episode. Don't forget, we also have an app for our Three Pillar Podcasts, Just search for the Innovation Engine on the App Store.